The Bible's got you tied in knots if you're burdened with religious thoughts. Come grab a drink and join the choir. It's heretic happy Yeah, all right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, 20 of our closest podcast friends to the 10th episode of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast live uh, in Ralph Polindo's house. We are literally sitting by the fire. It's a fireside chat. Uh, Luckily, there isn't a fire in the fireplace, Um, but we are really pumped. We have a great, great episode for you guys. So excited for you guys all to be here and join with us. Thank you, Jamal. And uh, so let me real quick introduce myself, and I'll ask my uh, co-host to introduce themselves too. I'm Keith Giles. I'm the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. And I am joined by my two good friends here, Jamal and Matt. Hey, guys, say hi. Hi, I'm Jamal Javanji. I'm the author of Free to Love with Choir. It's so good to be in the house for the live uh, Heretic Happy Hour podcast. So welcome, everybody. Yeah, thank you guys for coming. I'm Matt DiStefano, down from Chico, California. We took about an hour and a half flight um, to get down here to Orange. And I'm the author of From the Blood of Abel, a couple other books. And I've got one um, new book coming out, which is actually called Heretic, to play off the theme. Wow. And Ralph and Choir is going to be publishing it. Um, looking at maybe February for release date, but that's tentative. And um, thank you guys all for coming. We want to first talk about, well, introduce our, our sponsor. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever read the Unfundamentalist Christians blog. They used to be on Patheos, and now they have their own blog. I used to write for them, um, and they decided to do a little exchange advertising on the show, so we uh, always give a shout-out to them. And um, their spiel is that they are a group focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor and they are dedicated to opposing toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentals. Woo! Yeah! Woo! Bring it on! That's right. I like Shout out to Dan Wilkinson yeah, yeah, yeah. and all the fellows and ladies <laughs> at Unfundamentalist. You can find them on Facebook.com slash Unfundamentalist or read their blog at Unfundamentalists with an S at the end, Unfundamentalists.com. And we're also, this show is sponsored, well, it's we got a big shout out. To yes. Sidecar Donuts in Costa Sidecar. Mesa. Woo! Yes! Yeah! Thank you! Yeah, yeah! Woo! Yes! Oh, fantastic. They got, I gotta be honest, like, gluten-free donuts are hard to come by, and I have to eat gluten-free, and Jason Cleaver and Sidecar Donuts, like, killed it with the, the gluten-free. It's not doughy, it's not nasty, it's not hard. Absolutely phenomenal donuts. And I don't even, I, I can't, I got, like, I've had, like, Maybe 10 donuts in the last 10 years. So, <laughs> um, they so did the a best, fan, donuts I've had. best donuts I've had yeah. in a long, long time. Um, yeah, Jamal, you got something to tell the people. You know, I do. And I gotta, I just wanna, I don't know if I should apologize, um, or if I should congratulate everybody, but, um, I've been kind of hard on everybody, you know, like about this, um, so I keep, I have this fear that, that people aren't gonna know about the heretic. Hotline, yeah. the Heretic Happy Hour Hotline. Like, yeah. I'm just this we're fear. Gonna dead horse. <laughs> we're gonna like miss it. out on this thing. But you know what? I really felt like I had this epiphany the other day. I was like, you know what? We're actually doing a good job of getting the word out about this. Yeah. Yeah. And because people have called in, people have sent texts in. It's been fantastic. And I feel like I've just not been fair to you guys. Like, 
I feel like I've been carrying the weight, but really you've been carrying it with me and I didn't know that. Yeah, and I felt alone. I felt like I was in hell. Right. And then I realized it's an illusion. I've got, you've been with me the whole time. Yes, yes. You've been with us. Like yeah, yeah. God is not separate. I mean, you guys have not been separate from us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just amazing, amazing. So thank you guys for getting the word out about the Heretic Happy Hour. And the number is, just in case... Okay, let me look at it here. You okay, yet? Uh, no, no. Um, you don't know what it is. It's a uh, two four zero three heresy. Yep. So again, two four zero three heresy is the number. Yes. You guys can uh, call in, send texts. If you disagree, you can send disagreements. If you want to like send us a blessing or a curse, it's all <laughs> welcome. Mainly it's a curse. All welcome. Right? Yes. Curse. Yeah. Curses don't really work. But Blessings we'll take. Yeah. All right. So send them in. Yeah, and if they're really cool, they'll end up on you know the podcast. We've had some really awesome voicemails and. We've we queued have. up a few texts yeah. that uh, that people you guys have sent We've in. Queued so up, we queued up some keep texts. Keep them coming because like we really need the feedback mm-hmm. and the ideas. Uh, so yeah, keep that keep that coming. All right, so uh, now it's time for our heretic of the week. Oh, you're gonna do the sound by yourself, aren't <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, I just did it myself. <laughs> that was, that, you did a good job. <laughs> and uh, since we are only a few weeks away from Christmas, uh, our heretic of the week is Saint Nicholas. Okay, so. Uh, you may not know Saint Nicholas. Sorry, Saint Nicholas is a real person. It's a real guy, uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Saint Nicholas and what makes him uh, a heretic. So he was born in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, uh, in the Roman Empire to a Greek family during the third century. Uh, in AD 325, Emperor Constantine convened the Council of Nicaea. You've heard of that, right? It's kind of an important council. Kind of. Uh, it was the first ecumenical council. Uh, more than 300 bishops came from all over the Christian world, and, the, and they came to debate the nature of God and specifically the Trinity. And, um, and St. Nicholas was a, a Trinitarian. Um, but there was another guy who was also invited to the, to the dialogue, to the discussion, whose name was Arius, and heretic. he was from Egypt. Oh, you guys! Heretic. He's yeah, a heretic. Heretic. Like a heretic. Come on, guys. Come on. Uh, and and uh, this guy Ari- Arius was teaching people that Jesus the Son was not equal to God the Father. And Arius forcefully argued this position at length during the council. And, and most of the bishops listened to him very respectfully. But uh, Nicholas got more and more agitated the more Arius continued. And eventually, he couldn't take it any longer. And he stood up. He had to walk around the table. And he just clocked Arius in the face. Santa Claus, bam, boom. Hey, listen, listen, Saint Nicholas. Hey, that sounds like an old male counsel to me. I'm yeah, like, doesn't it? I mean, but listen, listen, Saint Nicholas. You mess with the reindeer, you get the horns. Okay, don't mess with Saint Nick. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, so uh, but listen, there were repercussions to that because they didn't just like say, "Oh, no big deal, calm down." Uh, they took away Nicholas's uh, bishop robes, which was basically saying. You know, he didn't have authority anymore. They kind of demoted him, and they put him in jail. And for the rest of the council, they continued to debate, and he wasn't even available to actually be a part of the voting process. Uh, they did eventually reinstate him because they did eventually, uh, as you know, the Council of Nicaea agreed with Nicholas and the Trinitarians. Um, and supposedly, when the jailer came in the morning, this may or may not be true, uh, they found uh, his chains were laying on the floor, and Nicholas was dressed again in his bishop's robes. Somehow, miraculously, they had uh, found him. It's like Doctor Strange, like that thing. It kind of the cape had found him or something. I don't know. And um, I think some dwarves came in and untangled. Yeah, who knows? Yes. And so, anyway, that's. Oh no! Here, oh, here's here's something else. Here's something else you may not know about. (laughs) Give me a check. So, so I gotta just in case. So, this is a picture 
of what he looked like. It may be hard to tell, but this is a, an icon, a painting that was made a uh, long, long time ago, you know, like 4th, 5th century, of St. Nicholas and what he looked like. And uh, here's a photograph of him that's right next to him there. So if, if you want to see, it helps. I think he was part Klingon or something. Uh, but you can you get a picture. Pass that around. Pass that around. Anyway, uh, for those of you listening at home, uh, sorry, you don't get to see the picture. Anyway, all right, so I think that's our Heretic of the Week. Uh, I think it's now time for our topic, right? Yeah, we're topic? We, yeah, we're going to get into our topic, and um, it's, a, it's a fiery one, right? We're going we're gonna to talk about the doctrine of hell, um, yeah. everyone's favorite topic to talk yes. about. Yes. Um, I just, I mean, it, if you grew up in the Christian church, you probably grew up with a, with a doctrine of hell. Um, that's sort of assumed, and and if you grew up like me, you grew up with a very, um, very much fire and brimstone oriented doctrine of hell. Um, but I wanted to start the podcast by I think I don't know if it's the last episode or the episode before where I problematize things, and I like to problematize things in a Jewish context because that's where our you know that's where our traditions come from. We I mean Jesus was a Jew. We come from a Jewish context. Um, if we're Christians, and if we don't have the Jewish context, we often miss the message of the meaning because how could mm. we not? Um, so in Judaism, there's not you know there's not really a developed doctrine of the afterlife in the way that at least in the tradition dispensationalist evangelical tradition I came from, very conservative, very fire and brimstone ish. Think along the lines of like Baptist theology. Um, we're in the Christian Missionary Alliance. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, very, very fire and brimstone theology. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but in Judaism, it's not really the case. Like, it's not like if you go to the Old Testament, you read the word Sheol, which is the abode of the dead. It's, it's not, just it's just, it's, yeah. You're dead. You know, the psalmist or the Psalter, he writes, um, I, I don't remember where. Yeah, it's in <laughs> one of the Psalms. It's in one of the Psalms. There's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, where can I go from your presence, neither in heaven or on earth or in yeah, Sheol? Yeah, in like, Sheol. it's just this, cosmology where like literally an abode of the dead where the dead go and that's it mm-hmm. um there were some jews in the second temple period um that developed that had this idea of of a um dualistic some up to heaven some down to hell um but that's not all jews and there are some traditions that it's like it's like almost purgatory like the catholic doctrine of purgatory mm-hmm. where they go for a little bit and then they're cleansed and they and they're and then they're good yeah. so that's that's part of the so to problematize things, like we always assume that some go to heaven, some go to hell. You talk to atheists, even you talk to agnostics. Um, I know I'm personally, I'll just be up front. I'm a Christian universalist. So I. Heresy! 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 Oh, God, I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, what did he say? That was very, very vigorous. Like you guys are active Good participants. <laughs> Good Lord. We've come to play. Yeah, you guys <laughs> brought your A game tonight. Um, have another drink. I told an atheist that I was, and he even was like, I thought you all believed in hell. And it was like, well, I used to, but right. I mean, so, right, right, right. Yeah. so it's, it's like this assumed thing that we have, but it's not, it's definitely not a Jewish thing. And even those, those Jews that did, it's not everyone. And like the joke goes, if you get, if you get a, if you get two Jewish rabbis in a room, you'll have three opinions on something. <laughs> yes. <know>? So <laughs> and if, if you spend time with Jewish people, like that's so true. Like, like they, like they're, yeah. they're, which is a great thing. It's a very good thing. Like, um, yeah. so I like to problematize thing and things and throw throw it in the Jewish context and say there's not really a consensus on hell. Um, Jesus in his day, there's certainly not a consensus. 
And so when Jesus does talk about things, we have to remember that. And we have to remember that not everyone agreed. And there was a context there. And so there's this context that he speaks to. So even some of the judgmental stuff, which I think we'll get to later in the the podcast, there's a context with that, too. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I don't want to jump ahead. Keith, I think you wanted to introduce... um, like the three predominant yeah, views yeah, yeah, in yeah. Christianity. Some people think there's only one, but That's there's really exactly three. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, and so this was a big shock to me the first time I heard this. Um, and I probably, like you, if you were like like Matt says and Jamal, I'm sure the same way, you know, raised in a very conservative uh, Christian home. I was raised Southern Baptist. And, you know, anything the pastor said, I mean, that was Christianity. There was no other story. There was no other version. This, you know, so so that theology, this is what hell is. Hell is just whatever he said it was. You know, and then in the view of the end times, it's just whatever he told me it was, and that's the biblical Christian view. That what else is there, right? And then suddenly you realize, and I only recently found this out myself, maybe like five years ago, that um, that from the beginning, historically, if you study church history, the Christian church—I mean, from the beginning—there have been three Christian views of the afterlife. Three. Christian views of hell, okay? Again, we've all, most of us assume, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming you've assumed, <laughs> that, um, that it's just eternal suffering, right? If you die without Christ, you are going to burn in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's it, right? Well, to I'm me, the that's the only heresy. one. Look at that. God, <laughs> that, bless that's, America. Like, everyone's got that's somebody's horrific. heresy, right? <laughs> so, but, so, but listen, we already know, so most of us, right? Raise your hand. You know about eternal conscious torment. You've heard that preached, right? Have you Ooh. heard about yeah. the version? Okay. So there's two other uh, Christian views of hell that were around from the beginning. I'm going to read, uh, this is a quote, um, and actually I'm going to recommend a great book, by the way. There's a book called about hell called All You Want to Know About Hell by Steve Gregg, and he actually uh, unpacks these views, uh, really does a great job. But here, here you go. In the first 500 years of church history, there were six known theological schools, in other words, schools of thought, Okay. Four of them taught that all men would eventually be uh, rescued from hell. Four out of six. That's called the majority. The majority of Christians for the first 500 years of church history believed and taught that that Christians would eventually be saved. And we're going to unpack these views a little more, but let me just just explain this. Um, Okay, and then uh, those schools were Alexandria. They were located in Alexandria, Antioch, Caesarea, and uh, Edessa. There was one school in Ephesus that taught annihilationism. That is the view that uh, if you die without Christ, you you do suffer in hell for a time, but then you're just dead and gone. You cease to exist. That's great news. Uh, and there was one, only one uh, school of thought uh, that taught eternal punishment. Now, one out of five, or sorry, one out of six views. It was the minority view. And it, it may come as a shock to you, but uh, that eternal suffering teaching was located in this town called Rome. Uh, so it, it's kind of, gee, I wonder why Rome, well, not a town, right? It was, it was in Rome, and Rome, uh, you know, we all know that Rome, uh, as Christian history developed, Rome sort of dominated Christian thought for the rest of the, of the world, right? Mm. Um, but so in other words, for most of church, early church history, um, there were three views, three Christian views, and the majority view was universalism. Boom. Are you okay. serious? That's crazy. That's amazing. And yeah, and when you hear that, it's like, so this is what drives me crazy when you're talking to someone and they, and, and you, you know, like Matt just said, I'm a universalist, and we all said heresy, because that's what we think. Oh, that's a heretical view. 
Yeah, well, then that means Christians for the first 500 years were all mostly heretics, right? They were all getting it wrong. Yeah. And, and we should talk about kind of maybe how they come up with all that stuff. But yeah, you know, that, you that's good. I, I, uh, I have um, – I kind of want to back up for a minute because I think – that first of all, I'm so excited that we're doing this topic tonight. That we're <laughs> yes. actually talking about hell because cool. what I have discovered, and, and this has been true in my journey, and I've seen the journey of others. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there has been a revolution going on. There really has, you know, and it's a subtle revolution. By the way, you can miss it. It's not like in your face. It's not on the news. Uh, the revolution is not being tev- televised. You know what I mean? But it is happening, and it's happening because Jesus was the ultimate revolutionary. He's always causing revolutions everywhere that he's incarnated and that his presence is being manifested. So it's just, it is absolutely just a given that there is a revolution going on. And there is a revolution even within the movement that uh, attempts to uh, speak for Jesus. And so the revolution, and I found that we get stuck on the revolution. So really to back up where I've seen it, where I've seen the revolution happen is people start looking at this thing called church and they say, okay, there's something off here. I read the New Testament. I read the book of Acts. It doesn't seem like what I've experienced in the traditional setting of church. So then people begin to deconstruct. And one of the things they deconstruct is the clergy-laity divide, right? Mm-hmm. They may say, well, what is this deal? You know, like, I thought everybody had a role to play. And doesn't First Corinthians 14 talk about when you come together, each one has something to bring to the mm-hmm. table? And so it's a very participatory gathering. So that's like the first thing. And people start questioning, like, what is leadership? And really, are these offices really something Jesus intended? People usually stop there. I'll be completely honest. Like, I don't know if you're around the house church world or if you're around the organic church world or whatever you want to call it. That's usually where people stop. But there's way, 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 way more to go. Okay. So the other, the other step, stop along, you know, if you're riding the train of deconstruction, you're riding the train to, to revolution, riding the train to ultimate reality. The other stop is you start to question, well, what is this thing called the Bible? You know, and people get really freaked out. They're like, man, if you like start taking this apart, we don't believe anything, you know, and it's a, it's really, and I'm not dismissing that. It's, it can be a very daunting, uh, it takes a lot of courage to begin to look at how this thing came about. So that's another stop along the way. The other stop along the way, uh, in this deconstruction process, um, is we, we start looking at things like, um, are we really wretched people? Did God really create us? to be this, these evil people or, 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 you know, what is our true identity? The Calvinists say yes. Yeah. Well, right. yes. So the Calvinists say that, but where's it got them? Have you, have you ever <laughs> been in Calvinism? You know, I mean, where, where is the love? The yeah, peace like you don't like to look in mirrors, yeah. you know, you don't want to look in the mirror. You don't like other people, but I'm saying like, so there's that side of it, but then you go on to like, you start to go onto this doctrine of hell. So there's like, there's really four pillars that Christianity rests upon. Those four pillars are clergy, lady divide, you know, you got uh, the doctrine of human wretchedity. Uh, <laughs> original sin. Original sin, <laughs> yes. You have, you have, you have, you have the, the creation Google of the Bible. The Bible, yes. Yeah. Three is the Bible. And then you have hell. Hell. And these four pillars, and I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. I know that there's a lot of opinions people hold to. Got a good people out there. I'm not, I'm not trying to paint anybody. I'm just speaking for myself. But I want to tell you that those four pillars cause tremendous human suffering. And I am committed to uh, the eradication of those four pillars because I think all four of them go f- square. They fly squarely in the face of everything Jesus stood for, in my opinion. Yeah. So this doctrine of hell, to me, is, is devastating to everything that God is about and everything that Jesus stands for. And I know that could come as a shock <laughs> because of how it's been presented, but I honestly believe if you'll stick along for the ride – 
you'll be able to see how absolutely like Jesus actually came to bring us good news, and that's not a part of it. Yeah, I, I want to tack onto that. I, I mean, and see what you guys think about that. I was kind of thinking of something similar. <clears throat> like, I agree with you on that, and I think that those pillars that you just identified. I, I think what's behind each of them is fear and control. Oh, totally. Like, if I if I ask, how did these things get there? How did these you know strongholds or whatever pillars or whatever? How did it kind of get, how did it kind of creep into the church? I think ultimately it's about using fear to control people. Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah. I, sure. that, to me, it was the whole point of those councils. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, don't go there. Right there. No, we already did that podcast. We already did that podcast. Um, I, I think, I think that's absolutely right. Like I, um, I made the point in a recent article that without hell, we couldn't in the Christian church do what we've done. Even like, Thomas Aquinas. I don't know if anyone's read Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. I like Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. I, my one of my philosophical mentors is my 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 best friend Mike Machuga. His dad was a philosophy professor for thirty two years. He's a Thomist. Like I've learned every basically everything about Thomas Aquinas that I've learned is from him. Um, but but even Aquinas justified um, burning people at the stake because using hell as a, as a so so if you're a heretic. Well, we're going to murder you. We're only murdering the body, but heretics murder the soul. And I know that thread has been in Christian thought for a long oh, yeah. time. Like, and yeah. it's and if you if you affirm eternal torment, it actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. The door's out there on the, on the way. <laughs> but it's but it's true. But it actually makes sense. So so the um there's this horrible um thought experiment that I've seen floating around the internet. Where if eternal torment is true, it's actually justifiable from a philosophical standpoint to abort children and kill babies. Because if they, I mean, I mean, if you're if you're saving them from potential hell, is the risk worth it so that they automatically? I mean, Augustine would. In other, argue, words, in other words, they'll go to heaven automatically. Augustine would argue no because they're not baptized. Oh, okay. So baptize them first just to make sure. Amniotic and fluid. Amniotic fluid qualifies as baptism. I mean, and that's just. That should make you step back. For me, that may, you know, it's like, yeah, that's actually kind of yeah. justifiable in a way. Like, I can see the merit in that. In a very sick and which twisted Which puts way. you in a sick and twisted position yeah. where you have to then, well, is the doctrine a correct doctrine? Right. Because if that doctrine, if, if it's true, then you can make a justification for killing babies. Like, yeah, that's yeah. terrible. And no, that to me should make you well, rethink yeah. the doctrine. Yeah, and, 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 and also, to me, the, the doctrine of eternal suffering, to me, the, the really negative thing, is that I think it it really um, insults and maligns the character of God. Like it's saying that God um, would take his children, some of his children, and stick them in a, a lake of fire and torture them forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And, and, and that not only God would do that uh, to his children— but that in the whole entire Old Testament, he wouldn't breathe a word about the fact that he was going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then in the New Testament, he would only tell them that if they didn't obey him, uh, that they would die or be destroyed uh, or perish. He doesn't add on, he doesn't tack on the, oh, and by the way, what I mean is, uh, you're going to be awake, fully conscious, and in intense agony for eternity. I'm not, I forgot to mention that part. Like, uh, it's just, it's a really sick thing to me, and it makes God into a monster. Yeah, you know, and I think, <clears throat> I think for, um, I, I remember hearing a story. Again, you, you would only believe those kinds of things because you read them in a book. 
or some you believe some teaching, but you would never hear this from the mouth of children. You would never hear children talk like this about parents that torture their children. Like that's not something you, uh, that would come out of the mouth of a child. But um, I remember hearing um, this pastor. There was this pastor. He was a, uh, back in the 80s, fairly uh, well-known, charismatic pastor, um, high-powered ministry, raised millions of dollars, just, you know, had it going on, everything. And he, one night, late at night, he was tired, had been like, I don't know, he was in the middle of this, raising money to, you know, to do some kind of missions work and just, and was just very burdened and was kind of behind when it comes to the fundraising process. And he was late at night. And of course he's being motivated because he's like, look, we're trying to get the God, the great commission, you know, Matthew 28, I go therefore into all the nations and make disciples and preach the gospel. You know, that's, this is the great commission. You know, this is like yeah. what we're taught. So he was um, flipping through the TV channels like one night late at night. And he saw, you know, the, one of the infomercials about um, uh, the famine that was going on in Africa at the time. And he was watching these men and women and children just dying. Like they were there. You could see their, their skull, their, their skeletons and they yeah, were just starving, yeah. starving and children. And they just were, and he was just beside himself and he was thinking to himself and he was going, these people, and they were, it was a, and to top it all off. It was from a Muslim country. It's a predominantly Muslim country. So in according to, you know, what he was taught to believe that these people don't know the truth and they're going to hell. God is going to send them down. And he was just kind of beside himself. And he said, he's looking at these people and he said, they just can't get a break. He's like, they just cannot catch a break. He's like, not only are they living in a perpetual hell on earth, Mm -hmm. no food, you know, no security situation, difficult, you know, environment with politically. And then they are dying. They were literally dying of starvation. He's like, and then they're going to leave this earth. And they're going to suffer for eternity. He's like, they just can't, you can't. And he was just, you know how sometimes when you're unfiltered in your prayer, like you're not like, it's not your, you know, you're just unfiltered. You're kind of raw. You're, he was just like talking to God. And he was yeah. like, he's like, you just don't give anybody a break, man. You don't give them a break. And he was talking, he was angry. He was upset. And he heard, he said, he, he heard, this is a pastor who was like well-trained in the, these doctrines. He heard in the deepest part of his spirit, he heard God speak to him. This is what his testimony. He said, is that what you think we do? You think that's what we do? You think we're sending these people to hell? And he's like, yeah, of course. And he starts arguing. Of course, that's what's happening. They don't know Christ. They don't know. They don't. They haven't received the forgiveness of, of God because of the cross and all these things. And he said, um, can't you see that they're already in hell? Look at them. They're there right now. He's like, I've not come to like perpetuate the problem. But to be the remedy of this. Yeah. And he said that was the beginning for him. And he's like, so you're the remedy? Like God's the remedy, like they're already there, like they're already there. And, it, and when I heard that, I was like, you know what? This idea of an afterlife is such a, is such BS. There is no afterlife, guys. And I know that sounds shocking. Heresy! No, no, seriously, seriously, like, seriously though. There is, if you think about it, I have listened. One of the things that I have done, one of the things that I have done, um, one of the things I've done in my own journey is I have loved to, I like to listen to stories of people who have experienced near-death experiences. So people who have died have had near-death, and there's many, many, many people that have had near-death experiences. One of the things that they say um, is that when they experience death, they, they were shocked because death is actually 
not the afterlife. It's actually always now. Even their conscious memory of what happens after they pass, they don't the concept of now and time, it's like present tense. And so like it's always right now. So when Jesus talked about eternal life, he said, This is eternal life. And then he used the very present tense verb, knowing, mm-hmm. which is God, God, and the one who he's sent, which yeah. is the incarnation, which was yeah. him at the time and now us. So like knowing it's like this present tense. So when is it not now? It's always now. Mm-hmm. It's always the present tense. Yeah. It's never the future. Yeah. So um, this idea of an afterlife. So like you're either in hell or you're not. Mm-hmm. You're either experiencing the kingdom of heaven, which is what Jesus talked about in the very present tense, or you're experiencing the kingdom of darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth and suffering. But I guarantee you, like go outside, look at people, maybe your own life. People are in people are experiencing both right now. Yeah. And it's always right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree on that. I, one of my favorite science fiction writers is Philip K. Dick. I love Philip K. Dick, a sci-fi writer. No one? No one? No, no love? Crickets. Anybody? Just crickets. Uh, Total Recall, Blade Runner. Yeah, anyway. Uh, he actually lived in Orange County, died in Santa Ana. He was a local guy. Anyway, uh, he wrote a, a, a book, and one of his last books, actually, that was published, he talked a lot about spiritual themes as well. He, he was very interested in, in God and in Jesus, and he studied all this stuff, uh, a lot of Gnostic stuff as well. And there's a, there's a scene in one of his books where um, one of the characters believes in God and is a you know, Christian. And, um, and he's put in jail with this other guy who used to be a pastor and, who's, and has lost his faith. And the pastor's hearing this guy talk about God and God's going to rescue us. And my, his friends had just died, but they're in heaven. They're in a better place now. And the former pastor guy turns to the guy after hearing him go on and on about this stuff. And he goes, he goes you believe all of that? And he goes, yeah. He goes, he goes, well, I just got to say, if you do, that's great. And if your friends are in a good place now, uh, the, you know, then great. He goes, but none of that is any good to us right now. Like, if your gospel doesn't work right now yeah. for us right now, what good is it? Right. And, and I agree. I think that right. if we only have a gospel that works after we die, then what's the point? And I don't, but I don't think that is the gospel. I don't right. think that's what Jesus said at all. I don't think that's what he was talking about. He was talking about knowing God through, him, through Christ in a way that was real and vibrant and actual right now, right? Mm-hmm. The, the idea of the kingdom being within you and the kingdom being available now and open now is that you could experience what it's like to live in the presence of God now. You don't have to wait until you die. Right. right? And I love what Jamal, what you said when you say there is no afterlife. Like our visitor response is like, but it's like, if we're, if we're Christians, like, Honestly, we're supposed to live as if death is a, as doesn't exist. It's not yeah. real. Yeah. Like it's not real. It's yeah. it's not a it's a it's it's an event, but it's not it's not real. It's not concrete. But we're gonna leave it. And it's not the end. Yeah. Right. Like the resurrection on. is the reality we live in. Yeah. Like that's what baptism is supposed to be. When we go into the water, we have died and we are right. We have we have risen with Christ. Yeah, like risen. <laughs> risen. Right. Um, and the second, like hell, but hell is real. Like, yeah. like the, in, when Jesus talks about Gehenna, which is which is what he uses when we translate to hell. Yeah. It's the Valley of Hanam. Yes, it's south of Jerusalem. There's the there's the mythic nature that it's a garbage dump, but it's probably more than that. Um, Jeremiah, the prophet, yep, prophesies. He breaks this jar in the temple to prophesy about the Babylonians are going to come. Like you guys are, you guys are screwed. You're toast. And I'll say screwed because my daughter's here. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> you guys are toast. Like 586, Babylonians come in, lay waste, it's over. And they all get thrown into Gehenna. Yes. It's very real. Yes. In 70 AD, Ju- Jesus, like, mm-hmm. guys, it's going to happen again. Like, he has this 
This, and he quotes Brad Jerzak yeah. points this out in in a lot of places. Her gates will never be shut, yes. which is a great book. Keith, you've mentioned it before. Do you have it? I got a copy right here. Look yes, at this. you can't have it, but it's mine. But this is a great book. It is, I've got it on Kindle. I've read it like four times. Yeah. Brad is Excellent. a friend of the show. He's a friend yeah. of mine. I, I yeah. mean, he's wonderful. I think I think he's more my friend than any of you. Whatever. Guys, I'm in a mimetic rivalry now with you, Keith. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've known him longer. Uh, <laughs> But he points out in, in places like there's a tradition, there's an Enoch tradition in Judaism where, yeah, some people at the end are going away to burn forever. Yeah. Maybe forever, maybe not. I mean, but there's a Jeremiah tradition where hell is here and now, and it's more about a real army coming to lay waste in a real way. And that yes. happens. Jesus warns that you guys will end up in Gehenna again. Yeah. And in it certainly happens if we know our history in 70 AD or CE. Yeah, see it? Yeah. It's going to happen in a real way, in a here and now. So it's like, yeah, it's not about like these warnings. Yeah, we should apply them to our lives, but it's a real consequence. Auschwitz is a Gehenna. Yeah, yes. Um, the the killing yes. fields of Cambodia yeah. are a Gehenna. The. Um, communism under Mao Zedong is a Gehenna. Mm -hmm. The gulags of. I mean. The yep. potential we're in now, honestly, North Korea's a Gehenna. Religion's a Gehenna. The United States of America oh could be a Gehenna. Yeah. Where's the, Syrian, the heresy Syrian yelling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, can I, can I, I know, I, I feel like um, when it comes to just understanding this idea, because I, I think people, it's offensive when you tell somebody that there's no hell in the traditional way. Because I actually believe in hell. I just don't believe in the traditional way. I think... I think hell is a very present tense reality. But can I even can I interrupt you and say yeah. traditional like whose well, tradition? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah it's it's now. very it's not the original tradition, <laughs> right. but it's, yeah, 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 it's yeah. what we have heard yeah. Christian, right. from our Christian pulpits, tradition, right? Our churches. So so I want to say this though about the idea of hell because I think it can be offensive because and I get this especially if you've had tragedy happen mm. to you personally. There is a sense, and I agree with it, a sense of justice. Where is the justice? Because there is tragic things that happen in the world. You know what? And it's important that you feel like justice is served because justice is a quality that's important. And, you know, and hell, the idea of hell kind of, kind of like satiates this idea that, that where's the damn justice in the world? You know what I mean? Like, especially if you've had somebody that's been hurt, right? That's been, you know, there's a lot of garbage that goes on in the world, right. and you want justice. Hitler's what kind, go of, to what kind yeah, of a world yeah, do you want yeah, where there's no yeah, justice? But exactly. here's the thing. Here's why I think I think it's important to take note of this. Like to see God as the disher out, the punitive man in the sky, so to speak, <laughs> that dishes out this this penal justice. And I think you have to touch on this penal doctrine justice? of penal substitutionary atonement, atonement. which is this yeah, idea that God was God is out for blood. Mm -hmm. That God is out to kill, to event, to assuage his sense of justice or righteousness. Right. And so obviously we get the idea Jesus came and mm -hmm. was crucified to assuage yeah. the Father's sense Heresy. of justice. He took the bullet. Well, that, that's the, the idea of penal one. substitution. The but here's the, here, here's the thing. I don't think, I think, you know, I've obviously do not believe that about the nature of God. I don't believe that's exact. that was what happened. It was happening on the cross. But here's the deal. Like you can take comfort in this. Okay. There's this thing. I use the word, it triggers some Christians, but it's a real thing. It's called karma. It's real, guys. So I believe like sowing it. and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Jesus in the Bible, if you read the scripture, reaping. it says, you know, do not be mocked. God is not yeah, mocked. Whatever you yeah. sow, a man, whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. That's yeah. the idea of karma. 
It is a principle of the universe. Jesus talked about it. You know, whatever, give, it'll be given back to you. Don't live by the sword, you die by the sword. It's the same principle. Mm-hmm. It is the way the universe has been constructed and it is for benevolence. So justice always happens. It really does. And I've heard the idea of Jesus came in and was like, hey, look, you guys have been living by the sword from the beginning. It's been violent. Uh, the wages of sin is death. That's so true. Absolutely. It happens. It's the way it works. It's not God who's doing it. It's just the way the universe is constructed for the sake of equality and benevolence. So Jesus is like, look, I don't want you to live this way anymore. anymore so I'm going to give you a new world, a new way to live. It's a love ethic. It's a self-sacrificial ethic. You can be free of this. But here's the thing. You guys have spent a lot of time stirring up, basically stirring up. Shit. Shit. And so, so, so the thing is, like, does that get swept under the rug? Does that not get, does that not get dealt with? And it's like, no, it does get dealt with. So you have a benevolent God who says, okay, somebody's got to balance the sheets, so to speak. It's this whole karmic principle. It's got to be balanced. So I'm going to come in as a priest. This is what priests do. I'm going to take it from you. I'm going to like endure it into myself on the cross. I'll take it from you. I'm going to balance this thing out. It's not to assuage a, a vengeful God, but it is literally to say, this is how it works, guys. So like justice is met. You don't have to be afraid of justice not being doled out. It's the way the universe works. Yeah. But uh, you don't have to invent this place called hell where you're separated from God from all eternity, which is absolutely impossible, by the way. Right. Um, well, he just mentioned the verse in Psalms that we don't know where it is in Psalms. That anywhere I go, I can't We're, escape the yeah. presence of God. Even if I go to Sheol, God is there, right? right. Yeah. I can't escape his presence. Right. Yeah, I, and I wanted to talk about, um, uh, t- this was, I was awesome. Actually, uh, today when we were going to the donut, coming back from, from the donuts, so Sycar Donut place. Sycar Donuts. Sycar Check donuts. them out, Costa Mesa. Great place. Costa Mesa, so awesome. woo! Best donuts ever. <laughs> we're, we're riding back together in the car, and, and Jamal and I are sitting in the back seat, and Jamal is talking, we're talking about this, and Jamal is saying all that, and I'm like agreeing with everything he said, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm agreeing with everything Jamal is saying. What? Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a miracle. Um, it's a miracle. But, but I want to I go back to something, um, something that Matt was saying about... Um, about like so again, like a lot of you guys, you know, grew up believing, and even as a pastor teaching the the doctrine of, you know, if you die without Christ, you're going to suffer in hell forever. And um, you know, the whole phrase you hear this all the time. No one talked more about hell than Jesus. Amen, right? brother. But what? And I said that, and I believed that until I actually started looking. Well, what did Jesus say, and what is he really talking about? And and I'm convinced now that that all Jesus was talking about was not about what happens to us after we die? But what he's talking about in those verses that we have applied to the afterlife, we have applied to the judgment, after the judgment, that he's talking to people standing in front of him, and he's saying, some of you won't taste death until these things come to pass. What things? Well, they're gonna sur- the armies are going to surround Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to burn the temple. They're going to stop the daily sacrifice. All these things are going to happen. You're all going to die. And it did happen. So it was the destruction of Jerusalem in 8070, which Jesus predicted would happen. But when he, and here's the thing, and, and you, you touched on it, when Jesus was talking to these Jewish people about this uh, judgment, this destruction that was going to come upon the city of Jerusalem, he quoted the same kind of language that they would have all understood completely from, they used the language from Jeremiah and the language from Isaiah and the language from Ezekiel. And if you go back to those passages where God through the prophets, speaks judgment against Babylon or even against Jerusalem or against Egypt. Read those passages in, Jeru- in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all those, all those uh, prophetic passages where God is pronouncing uh, destruction is coming upon these cities. He says things like this. 
The worm will not die, and the fire will not be quenched, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the smoke of your fire will go up forever and ever and ever. So when Jesus uses that same language to tell these people a destruction is coming to your city, if you do not repent, they would have heard, oh crap, a Jeremiah kind of judgment is coming to us the way it did. That's what they heard. They didn't hear, oh crap, I better say this prayer, uh, you know, in Jesus' name, amen, so that when I die sometime later, I get to go to heaven. And we have taken those verses, unfortunately, and we have kind of made them about something I don't think they're about. Um, now, I will say, devil's advocate, uh, I think you can do that pretty, I would say, again, in my estimation, pretty easily with most of those kind of hell verses that Jesus says. The one that seems to be the stickiest one to me, I don't know if you guys agree, is Matthew 25, right? So when Jesus is giving the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, right. and he says at the end, you know, to the sheep, well done. Uh, good and faithful servants depart to your eternal blessing, and then he says to the goats, the, you know, who have who have disobeyed and not not shown love to the to the poor and the outcast and the one in prison, and he says, you uh, depart to everlasting. You know, a lot of our, our, New, our New Testament our, English yeah. Bibles will say uh, everlasting punishment or eternal punishment. Right. So you want to tackle that. Yeah, yeah, you tackle Matthew twenty-five. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll jump in if you don't. Yeah, no, I have some. No, I have some notes, but I thought I you have to notes. Say something. I, I, I'll wing it without notes. Okay, um, I'm sure a you couple can do of things. It. Like honestly, if wing you it. believe in eternal torment, it's the ones who know Jesus who go there. If if Matthew twenty-five is your proof text, the the <laughs> sheep are confused, and so are the baby goats, which is Erephos, which is it, it's not a goat; it's a baby goat, yeah. which should it should weigh into our. Yeah. Um, our exegesis, our interpretation mm-hmm. of the text. Um, cute it's the baby goats. The cute, cute little, cute adorable baby goats. goats who just go astray like they're dumb. Like, I don't know. It's the Christians who go to hell and the non-Christians who are like, when did we serve you, Jesus? Yep. When you did it to the least of these. Well, they don't know Jesus. They're as surprised as, the, the sheep are as surprised as the goats. Yeah. <laughs> so my point is always like, if you want to argue that, it's us, it's we. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not, it's the so-called righteous, zealous Religious ones who know the right language, who do the right, but it's not the ones who serve the hungry. It's it's the one you know. We're not serving the hungry. We're not serving the poor. We're not visiting those in prison. Yeah, and, and, and that's when we're not doing it to Jesus. So that's for for a second. The context is nations. It's the context of that passage is nations. It's nation. Yes, and also the Greek language. We can't just say, oh, it, well, see, brother, in my Bible it says. Uh, I don't know why I'm from the south, but. <laughs> We know it's, why. We know why. We know why. I'm I know sorry. why. It's everlasting punishment and everlasting joy. So if the life is not everlasting, that's right. then you. the punishment is not that's, everlasting. That, thank you. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, and this would be Tom Talbot, the philosopher, retired philosopher, who would say, for one, that's not how you treat. When you, when, a, when an adjective is a, a modifying a noun, it's not how you treat it. Because you go to Romans 16, where Paul uses the same sort of language, like, Mountains that are everlasting and God that are everlasting in the same phrase. Right. And they're not the same. And they're obviously they don't, they not the don't same. both mean without end. So, yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's an age. And right so, now. also, when you talk about colossus, which is the Greek word for punishment, it, it has the context of chastisement. Mm-hmm. And so, if we're going to take that passage out of context, that's poor. Yes. And I would say, if I'm going to punish colossus, my daughter... It's in the context that I'm hopefully a loving father, not a complete asshole who's just going to be like, you're getting my justice this time. And I'll... Swear jar, swear jar. <laughs> asshole? Really, Barrett? Yes. Ching, ching, yes. ching, ching. Fucker. <laughs> 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 ching, ching. 
if we're gonna punish outside of the context of love, then we're not. I'm not being loving father. So that's what. So Colossus. So agent during Colossus is, is really what the passage would say in Greek. Yeah, yeah. So those who don't do, you know, don't feed the poor, the hungry, and don't clothe the naked, and don't finish, f- uh, visit the people in prison. They go to an age enduring chastisement. Yeah. Now, if any of us have chastised our children, we do it in love. We do it for, for sure. a purpose. For an age, maybe. For a good. For, for, for an age. For not, not forever. Oh, it's yeah, been a forever. billion years, and I'm just going to keep. I'm on timeout. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 47. Like, I'm still on timeout. <laughs> like, you're yeah, still yeah. on timeout, Jamal. You'll never end. I've heard what you said on the podcast. You should be on timeout still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's heresy. Like, for no purpose. That's. <laughs> To well, com- like to butcher the passage, like yeah. Well, so yeah, two things. First of all, you you just said everything I had written down here, so you, oh. you nailed it. You you went you were winging it. Awesome. Uh, there's uh, this is actually from Richard Murray. I don't know if you guys follow Richard Murray. He's on wonderful. Facebook, except He's- for his views on Satan. I gotta, okay. call, I gotta call him out. Please, we'll have hey, him on the podcast. I'll let's have him on. Let's have yeah, him we'll, on. We'll debate him. Yeah, we'll debate that. that that's wow. another podcast. But anyway, when it comes to this, he's really cool. I love him. He's uh. uh anyway, I, I printed this out because I love what he said about specifically about this Matthew 25 passage and that word aeonus. Which doesn't doesn't mean without end. It means an, an a uh, a long period of time or an age. So uh, I thought this was really good. He says the word for uh, eternal um, that's used is aeonus. It means more than everlasting. And he's talking about here now Plato. Uh, he says for Plato, who may have invented that word, uh, it plainly means that a thing may be everlasting and still not be aeonus. The simplest way to put it is that aeonus uh, cannot be used properly of anyone but God. It is the word uniquely, as Plato saw it, of God. Eternal punishment is then literally that kind of remedial punishment which it befits God to give and which only God can give. So in other words, that word aeonus, you know, enter into your aeonus punishment, it really has more the connotation of enter into the God like punishment, the the punishment of God or the punishment that God is is giving you. And again, the the idea of punishment, and here's the thing, there's all kinds of verses in the New Testament that affirm everything we're saying. Like the, the verse in Hebrews when it talks about, you know, uh, God disciplines those he loves. Mm. And when he does it, it's for a purpose. What is the purpose of it? It's to bring correction. It's for the purpose of bringing a change of heart and repentance. It's not, I'm just going to pound you forever into the ground forever, right? That's not a loving God. That's not what right. a loving father would do. Yeah. And so it, we, and that's not the only one. There's plenty of verses that give us this idea, like Jesus giving us the idea of an Abba loving father who loves us and cares for us. And if he does bring any kind of a punishment, it's for the hope and in the purpose of a repentance and, and a change of heart. You know, and you guys are got, bringing these quotes by these theologians. And I got one too. Oh, look out. <laughs> yeah. I got, a, I got, Is it no, no, I got some quotes. <laughs> I have, I have a quote by a theologian. <laughs> But you guys may not consider him a theologian, but I, but I do. But but before I get oh to that, I, but before I get to that, I is do. Yogananda. No, no. Well, Yogananda. But but here's the thing. Okay, when it comes to like, okay, I I do understand. Like, okay, you're trying to be true to the text. You're reading the Bible. You're trying to be true to it. But like, sometimes it's necessary to be a human for a second, to step out of the book, and to just come back to your spirit. And and as a parent, as somebody who's a who's a who's a father or mother, a son or a daughter, and come back and go seriously, guys, think about this. Like, like a loving dad, a loving mom, like you already know the answer to this. Like you get it. You already get it. And you as a parent, as a mother and father, like you know what it's like to love your children. 
You know what it's like to punish your children. You know what it's like to correct your children. You do not know what it's like to murder your children to exact punishment, punitive punishment that has no end. You know what it's like for the hope of love. You know what like you know what I mean, you know what the the idea of love is is like does love ever not accomplish its task? I'm not talking about in our 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 pre our, our predefined start and finish. I'm talking about is there something out there that is greater than love? Does love ever get defeated? Does it not win eventually? It does does this love go out and come back void? Mm-hmm. Is it possible for it to come back void? <clears throat> like if you believe in the Bible, all right? And if you believe in certain scriptures that talk about love like the word never comes back void, then you got to you need to wrestle with that. Yeah. Like where does it come back void? Does it really come back void? And I'm telling you this idea of separation, like it defies everything we're learning about quantum science, the way the universe is put together. There is no separation. Jesus specifically said, John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in my love because you, apart from me, you can do nothing. Meaning like I used to go, well, wait a minute, I can do a lot of things apart from Jesus. <laughs> I can breathe. Yeah, I, I can exist. I can do lots of things. And so the idea is like, no, you want to be with Jesus. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. But like, basically, I, I really feel like Jesus is speaking from his, the nature of Christ. He's saying, apart from this Christ nature, you can do nothing, meaning you can't exist. By the way, you don't carry a battery pack around. You don't have a battery on you that's giving you your source of life. Guess where it's coming from? It's coming from the source. There's one source. And it gives all of us life and being and consciousness and existence. And apart from this source, which is God... You can do nothing. You can be nothing. You can exist. You can't even exist. So if you want to live free in this life, John 15 talks about, um, you need to, if you want to abide in this love, you come back and go, yeah, I'm not here on my own. I'm not alone. I've never been alone. I've always been here connected to the source. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. So it's, it's a misnomer to think you're separated. But so I want to get back to this whole idea of a theologian, quoting this theologian, okay? Because listen, if you're all caught up in the afterlife, it might be a good sign. It might be a sign that um, maybe maybe you need to taste love again. Because when you taste love, like, you forget about the afterlife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, it's like, right. well, who needs the afterlife when I'm in love? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, so anyway. What my, more do you mean one of my the present f- moment of love? Right, right now, right, right now. Right. So here's my favorite theologian. It's this guy <laughs> by the name of... I don't want to say favorite, okay? But I, I've just recently discovered him. But his name's Blake Shelton. Have you guys ever sexiest heard of Blake Shelton? Man. The sexiest man. Sexiest man year? alive. I'm not a country uh, fan. Yeah, I don't yeah. really like country music. No, I'm just saying. But there's a couple of songs. Heresy. There's a couple of songs that I really like by this guy. I heard this song the other day because we were thinking about, we're, you know, we're obviously planning to do this this talk on hell. And I heard this song. I don't think it's an accident. I was on a walk the other day. It came on my, it came on the podcast. Uh, or not podcast in my in my uh, Spotify, and I was listening to it. And I was like, "This is fantastic." I just got to read some of these lyrics to you, okay? This is a this is a song called "South of Heaven" by Blake Shelton. We can't for copyright purposes, we can't play it on here, okay? But we can play it after the thing. You know what I mean? No, it's you should have powerful. read it and not told them who it was. I'm sorry. It yeah, that's true. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, but but here is just a this is a sample from this, and I I really felt like it touched the heart of what we're talking about here. And he says, "I don't know much about eternity, or where somebody like me is going to wind up going. All I know is that I've." already been parked in a Chevy by the deep river rolling. And that summer night shooting star paradise might be all that I'm getting. 
kissing and sipping that seven on seven somewhere <laughs> just south of heaven. And then he goes on and he says, um, somewhere just beyond the Jericho line, little white church roll back through the pines down where the tree, where the three cross river unwinds. If there's a heaven on earth, man, that'd be mine. And I just think about like, what was Jesus emphasis on talking about? Have like heaven. He was like, pray this way. Like when you pray, pray this, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And I don't think we get closer to heaven on earth than when we're, when we're experiencing the reality of love. Like when we're tasting love, like just drinking it in and like we're experiencing it in the deepest parts of our being. You know what I mean? Like you forget about this stuff. Forget about this. Like, where am I going? Where are you going? Did you make it? Do you not make like we all like, listen, you are all accepted right now. Like that's the declaration of, 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 of like Christmas, which is Emmanuel, which God is God with us. Like God is with you. Yeah, amen. Like just look around. Yeah. You're not alone. And if you can like start to taste that, you know, you don't have anything to worry about. Like you just, you can come and Jesus says, when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. It's still true, even if you don't know it. Right. Yep. But right. when you know it, you can be free and live like it. Live right. like children. And to those who know this truth, we've been given the ability to live as children right. of God. Yeah. That reminds me of that verse that you had what, what, um, where it's like Jesus is the Savior of all. Oh, yeah. And it says men, but I mean women too. Right? Mankind. Mankind. Humankind. <laughs> hey. People Especially believers. Like it's not... Yeah. It's not like, oh, by the way, only believers and in, in all people, yeah. it's in spite of that. No, it's like better to know that truth now. And if you don't know it, it doesn't make it not true. It just mm-hmm. means you don't know it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, so it's like where and show me in the Bible where it says that at the at death, that's the end. And now it's right. now you got no chance anymore. And it, that's just all, um, you know, there's these Fancy terms, exegesis and eisegesis. Yeah. Eisegesis means we're reading into the text, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're just reading into the text our presupposed... Well, yeah. Where did my daughter and, go? I was saying bullshit. Um, like that, honestly, and it's bullshit. Like, um, honestly, that's just not there. I, 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 I wrote an article, and I know it's Jeff Turner, my, my friend Jeff Turner. He wrote the foreword to my book. He's mentioned this before. Like, eternal separation? What are you even talking about? At that point, we're not talking about God, because you can't... You can't exist right. apart from God, who is right. the grounding of being. Right. Like that doesn't. That's a metaphysical. You're like saying a square circle at that point, right. or two plus two is five. That's just that's bad metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Like that just doesn't make sense. Being apart from being. Right. Unless be. unless hell is 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 uh, its own sustaining. Um, entity which no. makes it a god and which makes god just yeah. a demiurge he's like the platonic like he creates stuff but he's not the grounding of he's not god capital g he's a god he's not the one in, in whom we live and move and, and have, have our, our being so all right. things are not summed up right. in christ right. what the scripture right. says all things are summed up in christ oh you mean except for hell well all the elect because because isn't isn't that the place where god's separate <laughs> wait a minute not right. all things are se- no, so no, you, you had a problem well, well, all, all, a all of the problem. all of those early we mentioned you know for like 500 years of church history the the patristic universalists which were again most the majority as augustine said indeed very many yes. which meant most which meant most yeah he, yeah so exactly when augustine right. presents his view right uh, of of uh, eternal torment he does so mentioning that hey by the way most of my brothers don't believe this right, right? so it, he he knew it was um, at the time a minority view but but if you go back and read Origen, Clement of Alexandria, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, all these early church fathers 
um, they did hold the view that after death, God would continue the work of uh, reconciliation. That right. they, they, that was their view, that God would continue to do it. And that in the end, and this is the thing too, that you know, under, um, under the view of eternal suffering, God never has satisfaction. <coughs> sin is never dealt with. In fact, sin is eternal. Sin will live eternally with righteousness. Right? Yeah, of course. And so, in other words, it's always being punished, and therefore, it's never ultimately de- destroyed or dealt with. Right. And so, it it exists forever. Right. And God doesn't get what He wants. You know, it's not His will that any should perish, but that all would come to to, to know Christ. But it got so God doesn't get His way. God's the big loser. again, unless you're a Calvinist. Yes. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah. God wants maybe God wants that, but um, but He says He doesn't want any to perish, right? And uh, so if that's what God wants, is that everyone would know Him, then God never gets what He wants forever and ever and ever. God never gets what He wants. Sin always wins because even under that view, the they, you know, the, the idea is the majority of people are not going to be in the kingdom. So most of God's creation that He loves and died for, uh, He never gets at it. Didn't, he didn't never Augustine to, calculate it? Actually, he no, actually cal- I, only like ten percent get in. Like ninety oh, percent are done. Yeah, yeah. Like you're roasted forever. But you know, any, but it, here's the funny thing: it's like people that hold that view, uh, they always get in. Of course, yeah, like we, I, are, we are always in. The, yeah, there, of course, ca- I'm in. But the, you know, let's see who else is going to. There's be. a Bible verse that says the road to destruction is wide, <laughs> and many. Jesus said this. Right. The road to destruction is wide, many enter down that, and the road to salvation is narrow, only a few find it. And you know, one of the, I'm very convinced that one of the reasons, and if you look at Again, I'm just I'm biased, but I, this is my tradition for the last twenty some years. Christianity, if you just look at Christianity, just Christianity, forget about the world for a second. Look at evangelical Christianity. The majority of evangelical Christians are perishing in life because they're so focused on the afterlife. They're so focused on escaping this world, so focused on all these other things. But Jesus says, "I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, like right now." So the idea is, is like, forget, you know, just such a, my, my heart is like, forget about the afterlife for a few minutes. Realize that actually the whole purpose of the gospel, the good news is that you would not perish now because all that matters is right now. Because when is it not now? Seriously, I got to harp on that. When is it right. ever not now? Yeah, does, when the future, will it, does the future actually exist or is it always the present moment? Always, when will you get to later? <laughs> Even at the moment of death, it's still now. Right. And you're and you will still experience death in the present moment. So this is all you have. This is all there ever is is right now. And that's all that matters. So the sal- this idea of salvation and life and not perishing and escaping weeping and gnashing of teeth and darkness and in entering the kingdom of heaven, it's all about the now. I will say that our belief in our beliefs do matter in that if if we yeah. if we do believe that that death is a thing, yeah. we will act in a way that be is not becoming of, of the heavenly life, yeah. as my friend Mike puts it. You'd be afraid so, you won't make it. You're not accepted by right, God. Right, right. Which will affect your now, by the way. Right, <laughs> yeah. Our now is, is, is primary. The present moment is primary, and this is very uh, Mahayana Buddhist, but our present moment is primary. But I would say secondarily, our beliefs can affect the present moment in that, yeah. um, you know, this was, <laughs> you know, Trump did this whole thing with recognizing Jerusalem and, and it's, and I don't want to get into politics, but what it has done is inflamed the theology, the, the dispensationalist rapture, end times left behind bullshit theology. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. 
is it, it, it has just it's just um, inflamed that and in like almost this like self fulfilling prophecy. prophecy, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, if we do have this escapist mentality, it will always affect the present moment. We will never be living for the present moment. Yeah. We will always be living so we avoid something or so that we get included in something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't know where I was exactly going with that, but if, if we're only fixed, it's important to focus on the concept of death and talk about that. But if it's our primary focus, our belief in what that is, we're totally. <laughs> We're totally missing out yeah. on the present moment, yeah. which is the point. Like Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom yeah. of God is in your midst. If the kingdom of God is not. He didn't say the kingdom of God is some place where we go. If you make it, brother, you know, he yeah. didn't say any of that stuff. It's now. It's here. It's 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 every time we experience love with one another so, and sharing so, communion with one each other, have the Eucharistic meal with one another. Yeah. That's so so Matt and Matt and I were this is the great thing about by the way, the three of us have never been in the same place at the same time ever until today. Mm. And so today, <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Uh, hey. Uh and and uh, so Matt and I were in the wait, car. Wait, 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 we did we did one on that table. Remember that? No, but he wasn't here. Remember, oh, I wasn't. He here. was calling he, in. Yeah, we thought we were going to get struck yeah. by lightning. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, we're going to have a whole different mentality. Yeah. So yeah, Matt, so the cool thing is we've been talking, you know, offline today, and, and so Matt and I were driving in the car, and we were talking about the whole thing with, you know, the, you know Trump calling Jerusalem the capital, and then that uh, that totally is driven by this whole dispensational left behind end times, you know, mentality. Uh, they have to basically create this thing so that the Antichrist, blah blah blah. Um, but then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because, right. like you said, now Muslims get up. What do they do? They get angry. They get upset. Now there's riots and people are getting killed and stabbed and bombs and Bethlehem and you know all this stuff's going on. And now and then, then what? Then what happens? The Christians look back and go, "See, you see how violent they are. You see how angry they are. Yeah, see, that's the way they are. Yeah, but we right. we just kicked the hornet's nest and now we're shocked that the hornets are coming out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but then you and I were talking about how that that whole dispensational end times thing uh, is such a great story, you know. There's just going to be this guy, <laughs> and he's got a mark, and then he we're, he's going to fool everybody, and he's going to become the leader of the world, and then he's going to have a he's going to have a he's, you know a treaty with Israel, and then um, he's going to but he's going to break the peace treaty in three and a half years, and then he's going to they're going to build a temple, but they're going to stop the sacrifice, and you know boom, in a war, and, and all this stuff. Now because now listen, but if you take all that away, if all if you say you know what none of that's that's not going to happen. That's all. That's by the way a story that a guy made up. James, uh, John Nelson Darby made that up in 1830. Uh, the same year that Joseph Smith invented Mormonism. Keep that in mind. Anyway, that's another podcast. <laughs> but but we're, the point, sorry, my point is what we were saying in the car was, here's the problem with that. When you take away that freaking awesome, you know, story, what do you replace it with? Like, what's the story you replace? If you take away that story, none of that's going to happen. Well, now what do you got? Yeah. Well, I guess we just love each other uh, the, the way like. God loves us, and we preach the gospel, <laughs> and more and more people become more like Jesus. Boring. And, right. and the kingdom, we well, you pray know, that the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven, and we, we continue to live that out. Huh. You, you, you actually, what happens is you don't have to use fear as a manipulative right. tool. But it works to, so well. It, it does work well. Fear sells. Fear works. Fear is if you want to manipulate 60 people. 60 million copies work. <laughs> yeah, buddy. You have to use fear. To manipulate people to get them to do what they want. But if you don't have fear, all you have is love. Love and fear are, right. you could not be love. more opposite. Right. There's, yeah, perfect love drives out fear. So, that, you know, there's only one group in the world that has ever opposed the all expansive nature of love. And it's always been religion. Like, you look at it in Jesus' day, who was opposed to this inclusive man? This man who was like, I will include everybody. 
I will elevate everybody, even the people who are not qualified, who are the unclean, who are the ones that can't be touched, the lepers, the the Romans, you know, the Gentiles, all these things. You know, these whacked out views. Yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah. And just like to bring all humans up to the level and say, it doesn't matter what you believe. It really doesn't. For your sake, I mean, it matters because you may you may believe some messed up stuff and you may not live free, but it doesn't matter to me what you believe. Mm. I will love you and accept you and take you in. Just like you would do for your children. Like You don't care what your kids believe. You may want them to believe things that are going to help them, but if they don't, you still love them. You still accept them. You still treasure them. You still yeah. – all these – these are just human yeah. basic elements. So like Jesus demonstrated this base level humanity because in that, that's how you – that's how you – express what divinity is like human beings were created in the image and likeness of god so he's the first human there's ever lived truly human in this essence and so like literally you have no more fear than the the idea is like well why preach the gospel that's a great question why do you like yeah because it's good news because it's good and jesus (laughs) why do you fall in love you should know him right yeah it's the best thing why do you love people right (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah. Once yeah. you experience it, it's self-explanatory. Yeah. Like words point in the direction. You know, we can say moon, M-O-O-N, but it only yeah. points at what the moon is. Yes. And if, unless you have experienced that. Yes. You're only, I mean, so it's like, yeah, I mean, experience the good news for yourself on its own merits without an ultimatum. Right. Without an or atonement fear. theory. Yeah. yeah. Because the gospel is not an atonement theory. Yes. The, the gospel know. has nothing to do with, a, well, there's a substitution sacrifice. God poured out his wrath. Blah, blah, blah. That's not the gospel. That's an atonement <laughs> theory yeah. from the 16th century. Yeah, yeah. 16th century. 16th, <laughs> 16th century six, developed six from centuries. the 11th century. Yes. 16th century. But not, but not fully developed in Calvin. Like, that's an atonement theory. It's not the gospel. Don't conflate the two. Amen. The Easter, like Brad Jerzak was on episode six. He said, None of the Eastern Orthodox 250 or 350 million has ever affirmed that as the gospel or right. an atonement theory. That's right. Yeah. So that's like thinking the Bible existed in the first century. And it did. Uh, yeah, that's right. That was another podcast. <laughs> hey, so guys, we, we want to do a QA. Uh, we do. Right. We have certainly not covered this topic really uh, in we depth. Uh, and we can't. Um, but we could, but you'd all go home and fall asleep. Right. <laughs>